1: So you were there on Friday I gather. Um nice crowd and what when he got his diploma. Did he had he been what were the what's the story behind that?
3: So the story behind that uh has been in the works. I I actually do mostly know the story behind that. I actually had his diploma in my the truck of my car for a day or so. um, uh-huh. <laughs> um we delivered it to we did, we did not my wife did not present it to him, Someone yeah. else did, but we delivered it to the venue. Um, so it had been at works for a couple of years. you know he he went to the University of Memphis and he dropped out like a creditor too short to go to go on tour and sort of never looked back, which he talked about from the stage. and a couple of years ago, someone I think from the the college, I think whatever the college he was an English music major, so I guess that's arts and sciences. Uh, someone from that college had sort of reached out and said about it. And so they have a program. It's not like it wasn't an honorary degree. It's a real degree. But they didn't just, like, give it to him even though he hadn't finished. They have a program that, available to, like, all students for, for students who are, like, who, who, who like, came up just short of the finish line if they want yeah. to go back and finish. I think, I think it's actually called a finish line program. So it's a program you have to do, and there's, like, certain, you know, there, there's you <laughs> fill out and you present, like, a portfolio of work you've done related to your studies that you've left and all this kind of stuff. That part's easy for him. It's like look at my Grammys or whatever, or like you know, <laughs> go to my Spotify page. Right. Like that, so that 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 part's pretty easy. But he had to like he had to like you know answer some questions and and, and and you know do a statement about like how his work relates to his studies and all this kind of stuff. So they did the process on it, and it was sort of it took a couple of years from the conception to the to, to getting it done. But um, like as I, as I as I as I was told, I was not backstage, but as, as I heard. Like, his mother came, like, on am or wherever, and she was there for it, and, like, it was, like, a whole thing. And so it was very nice that he talked about it from the stage. That's lovely. That's fantastic.
1: And uh, I take it, good show and nice uh, occasion?
3: Yeah, yeah, no, no he, he's, he's played just about every venue
1: town at this point other than FedEx Forum,
3: but it was it was a very good show.
1: Um, all right, couple other matters. Um, you wrote about... Is it El Pollo Latino? El Pollo Latino. We like talking about food here. You like food? Good job. Uh, Good job on the pronunciation.
3: I, 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 I sometimes miss on that myself. But um, uh,
1: that's it, the ya sound. Not, not, not just it's not, it's Pollo, not Polo. Right? Um, so tell us about the place. So it's in a
3: little White House on summer between, I guess, so between Highland and Perkins, close to Highland. And for for years, it was this a different Colombian restaurant, Repos Delicios, which had sort of a cult following. I was I was among cults. so was so was Jennifer Biggs. We both loved to get a a bowl of a bowl of beans at Repos Delicios. And about a year ago, that restaurant closed, and a sign popped up in the window that said, you know, coming soon under new administration or whatever. And that was literally a year ago. And, like, so, so you know, people have been keeping an eye on it. I, every time I drive by, I look, oh, the new, new administration is still coming. still for it to come. And then the last time I drove by, I noticed that it opened. And it apparently it opened just a couple of days before that. And so it's a, new, it's a new Colombian restaurant. It's by the same family that already owns a different Colombian restaurant on summer or near summer, El Sabor Latino. El Sabor Latino, Latino is, like, a full-service, like, platters, like, you know just general colombian restaurant but el Pollo latino is a chicken themed restaurant and they you can get chicken in many different ways but the real like the real star of the show the real focus is on their rotisserie chicken so they have they do this colombian style rotisserie chicken with sort of a different kind of flavor profile they wouldn't tell me ingredients but I, but i gather there's like paprika garlic kind of thing going on it's flavorful but it's not hot it's spicy it's not spicy um and and they have this big roaster behind the um behind the counter you can see that that's cooking rotisserie chickens all over over wood wood flames. you know 40 at a time and, and they, it's very good they have other stuff too chicken soup so and, and do you fried get, chicken and chicken and rice
1: can you get can you get like a whole chicken to take away or is it quarter chickens half chickens to eat there and a plate yeah. with sides so How
3: do you the, do the it? menu the, the menu is like quarter chicken half chicken whole chicken one point five chicken or two chicken, right? <laughs> and so, so you can get. No, I think I think if you order it to eat in, they're going to cut the chicken up, right? But yeah, I, I assume if you say just give me give me, give me the whole chicken to go, no no, they're not going to say no to that, right? So yes, you get a whole chicken or even double chicken uh, meals there, and the meal is <sighs> really just chicken and potatoes, you know. But it's very good. It's a very good, you know. The the the, the, the skin is crisp. The chicken is. Is um, is um, tender and it also it is basically smoked over wood, so it has that sort of smoke flavor. And so,
1: big big fan of that. How much this is? This is a test of how much of a heathen you are. Have you ever sat in your car and pulled apart a rotisserie chicken and eaten it in the front seat of your car?
3: No, I've definitely eaten a lot of food in the front seat of my car. <laughs> um, and, I, and I'm someone who like when, when I go get like when I go get Indian takeout for the family, which uh-huh. is like at least a once a month proposition. I always get an order of the, um, of the um, what are they called? The, the, little, the little... Samosas, um, samosas. The samosas, yes. yes. The, you know, the potato and pea yeah. pastry. Right, right. And you'll get an that. order of those, which comes in two, and one of those is for me to eat in the car or on the way home. <laughs> that's, 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 my, that's, my, that's my delivery fee, is I get to eat one of those while I'm driving. Aren't there other... Well, okay, back to our history chickens. Isn't like, if there, I go for, like, a Chick-fil-A line with my kid, right, right. which he always brings with Chick-fil-A a lot, if I go through the line, I get them for myself. Even though it's, like, only a 10-minute drive back to the house... I can't wait the whole 10 minutes. I'm digging in the bag already. Exactly. I
1: mean, that's why fries are good. Fries are good as they'll keep you from the main course before you get to your house. Um, Isn't there, and maybe this is, isn't there another place that is famous for rotisserie where you get there? Maybe you've written about it before get there before they run out of rotisserie chickens. Do you have other places?
3: Uh, I I, I thought you were talking about Kenny Rogers roasters there for a minute. No,
1: no, not Kenny Rogers. Have we ever had a
3: Kenny Rogers roaster? You may be talking about Los Picosos also in summer. That's not a rotisserie chicken. That's just smoked chicken. They will have a big smoker or a big grill out in front of the restaurant. Uh-huh. And on weekends, Friday, Saturday, that's Sunday, it. they'll do they'll do that smoked chickens. And you can get smoked chicken plates there. You know, it's, until they run out. Basically, big big
1: fan of that too. What's the name of that place again? Los Picosos. Los Picosos.
3: It's it's in the big lot. You know, it's that big lot where Nagasaki is, and then on one side is, like, riots, and then the other side is other stuff, and Los Picosos is among the other stuff. Uh,
1: the uh, Daily Memphian is celebrating five years of existence. Maybe may- maybe it's a, a overly extended celebration at this point, but nevertheless, uh, it's good to start a newspaper up in this news environment. As part of it, you have picked out some of your favorite stories, and uh, there's a story up at the Daily Memphian that you've written. And one of the things that strikes me about it is— The last five years have really, like, you were writing about, on the sports front, Mark and Mike, um, since the Daily Memphian, in the last five years. We had no even hint that John Morant was arriving when all this five years began. But then another one of your stories was, I remember this now, you spent a day inside Baptist Hospital wearing the hazmat suit during the midst of covid plus uh, the Tommy Koss stuff at the uh, Memphis airport and all, all of that. Right. It's been a hell of a five years. Let me go back really yeah, quickly the, to the, uh, the Memphis Bicentennial. The Memphis Bicentennial. Oh, well, actually, let me ask you about that one first of all. So this one is an alternate three-part history of Memphis music with Jared Boyd. What did you do there? So what we did was ripped off an idea, I'm, I, I'm
3: a believer in ripping off good ideas. 100%. And, so, and, I, and I credited the idea. The, 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 the jazz critic Gary Giddens did a story for the Village Voice, I don't know, I guess in the year 2000, yeah. Um it was a long time ago, and it was, it was called Post-War Jazz, A Roadmap. And what he did was he picked one song for every year from like, I guess, 1945 through 2000, one jazz record from every year. That, that to him, not necessarily the best record of that year, but a record that, that helped tell the story of jazz that evolved over that time period. And he wrote like a paragraph about it. And I always loved that story. And so I ripped off that idea with Jared's help. And we did Memphis Music, a roadmap, basically. And we went from the very beginning, the very first recordings that happened in Memphis, which was 1912, up through whatever year we wrote the story, 2019, Holy I guess.
1: Holy crap. I didn't click on and this. So, yeah, a song a year? Song for
3: every year. Yeah, one song for it, roughly. There, there's some cheating both both ways. There's one there's some years early on where we didn't pick because you know the, like the first recording I think was 1912, but then like I don't think there's anything from 1913, right? It takes a takes a few years before you get into the every year situation. And there were there were a couple years there where we picked two songs just because we really couldn't we just couldn't bring ourselves to choose. And so it, that's that piece is in three parts because it's really long. And so I think the link there clicks you to the first part, and the first part has links to the second. And so the first part is like all the like Bill Street Blues, Jug Band, Jazz, all that kind of stuff. And then the second part is the Sun Stacks, High Records, Glory Years. And the third part is like, you know, from the mid 70s to present, modern era. But that was that was a great fun to put together to work That's, with Jared on that. And I think a good read.
1: And it's nice that uh, in this day, and it used to be if you wanted to save a piece you had to rip it out of the newspaper and put it in a Manila envelope and have a file. <laughs> now there uh, it is. I still recommend print it out and put it in you a
3: file because things disappear from the internet. Many, yeah. many, many things I've written no longer exist on no the internet. Nothing
1: but the Daily Mythian has disappeared. But many things I wrote through Commercial Appeal and the
3: Flyer
1: are all gone. Are, are, are gone. Um, yeah. the, if you want to, if you want to find that piece, uh, it's a pretty. The, the headline is a pretty. Uh, uh, um, Sort of it, the Daily Memphian writers share their favorite stories, so then you scroll down to Chris's and there's links to that story. Um, the hazmat experience, yeah, what was that like?
3: So, that in retrospect, not as traumatic as it felt like at the time, right? That's the thing, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people say we over a little bit because, it, and I think we probably did in retrospect, but like we didn't know, right. <laughs> And so, and so, like you know, I was literally in. I wasn't a hazmat suit, but I was in. I wasn't just regular scrubs. I was in a right. whole suit and a mask, and you know, and the whole, the whole, the whole shebang, right? You know, like you know, like you're in like you know some disaster movie you've seen on TV right. or whatever, and you know, it was like that. And I, I spent the day mostly with Dr. Stephen Hell who's great uh, to me, but there were some doctors I spent time with. And, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that story's kind of long, as my stories tend to be. Uh, I don't know if that's something that people are read in retrospect. Right. But I went back. I went back. I wasn't sure. Like, should I really, really put this there? And I went back and started reading it, and I think it still holds up pretty well. And, like, the people in the comments were, like, thought it was good. And I don't know. It was sort of interesting to be in an environment – not only the COVID stuff, but just medical stuff. And I, it's not, you know, it's not one of my, one of my, you know, one of my normal areas. Right. But like to try to learn on the fly, what people are doing and make sense of it to myself and then turn around and make sense of it to readers. I thought it was a pretty interesting experience. And then like, just there was the, the difference between like what people thought was going on frenzy wise and how actually calm it was there. But yet, there's still so much certainly, so I'm wearing all this stuff, but like it's not like around me, like things are going crazy. It's a pretty calm environment. Right. It was, it was interesting. The um,
1: it, it 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 might look in retrospect like, well, come on, man, you're wearing that because now, but at the, at the time, a we didn't know we didn't. Well, we also yeah. didn't have vaccinations. Like we didn't have vaccinations right. then, and so it the whole context has been changed by either you you right. have you've been vaccinated or you had it, and so you've. That then developed some some uh, a- right. antibodies, and we have treatments in a way that we didn't have. People really were like regularly dying off. That's just well, true. Yeah, that, no, 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 all that's true. But but there's also
3: an element to like we were still learning, right? Yeah. Because remember when it very first hit, people people were so focused, and the very first days, people will focus less on breathing than on touching, right? They right. were like, you gotta you wipe gotta bring your, your groceries, groceries home and wipe them down before, you, which in retrospect was dumb. And it took us a few weeks to figure out, no, this is a breathing problem. This is the air you breathe problem. This is not a surface issue you touch problem, right? There was just so much we didn't know in the
1: early stages. Um, all right. People can find those pieces over at the Daily Memphian. I got some grizzly stories, uh, things I want to ask you, but I'll wait and do that tomorrow. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it.